When COVID-19 began to lock the world down, our next guest realized he was in a unique position to save lives and help revolutionize the enormous infection prevention industry. Grant Morgan, CEO of R0, joins us to discuss how he leveraged his proven entrepreneurial track record and an extensive background in designing medical devices and IoT-enabled hardware to create hospital-grade biosafety technologies at a fraction of the cost. While together, Grant shares why he became so passionate in creating a UV light tower capable of destroying 99.99% of pathogens in a room in minutes while also making it commercially available to the masses. Additionally, Grant outlines the future of R0 and the infection prevention industry well beyond the pandemic. Join us for this illuminating conversation as we continue to work together to move the health of our nation forward. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Grant. A big welcome to our podcast. Hey, thanks, Mike. Really glad to be here and excited to chat today. Well, Grant, I'm fired up and I'm honored to be able to spend time with you today, given your passion to democratize access to hospital-grade biosafety technologies, especially given these trying times we're living in with COVID-19. But before we roll up our sleeves and cause a little good trouble together, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Grant, it's almost time for our community to learn how you and the R0 team is creating a new standard for infection prevention and paving the way for a return to safer everyday spaces and common places. But first, I'm going to break the ice a little bit with you, ask you a personal question. Let's see what we're talking about. We're actually going to talk about all things outside of your work at R0. What's your one thing you love to do outside of building your company? I'm going to give you two. So one is playing drums. I've played since I was little. I play a little bit of everything. Uh, I was in a jazz band, in a punk rock band, but it's cathartic. And I also love to cook. I won't claim to be the best in the world, but it's formulaic. It's very calming to me and you get to eat the product of your labor. So love it. We're going to go back to drumming for a moment. So I always say whenever we have a guest on here and they're mentioning, hey, I play an instrument or I was in a band, I always got to let people know no one's taking me up on it yet. So I'm going to do it yet again. If you need cowbell, I'm your guy. Like I have it on lockdown. Oh, that's perfect. We're going to start a cowbell (laughs) band. So we're going to need a few of them. So yeah. All right. Well, call me up. I know you're in Salt Lake City now. I'm just a hop, skip and a jump from Denver. So you let me know. I can be there in a moment. (laughs) Anytime I got you, cowbell's ready to rock for you. Awesome. I love it. And then cooking, you know, a lot of people have taken up cooking. I don't know if you got in the bread craze during the pandemic, but a lot of people found their way back into the kitchen, opening up that creative outlet. What happened during the pandemic is we started ordering those meal boxes and I accidentally turned into a vegan three days a week because here's a plug for purple carrot. But one of my friends got a free trial, gave it to us and I was unpacking it. I was like, where's all the meat? And Turns out they're vegan, but they're delicious. And it's the best meal box delivery kit that I've tried. 
So highly recommend it. So I went the opposite route. I really upped my barbecue game. There you go. It was awesome. Do you have a big green egg? No. And I know it's a big debate, right? So I'm a Traeger guy. Okay. You know, wood fire pellet Traeger guy. I've heard a lot of great things about the big green egg, but I'm all in on the Traeger. But yeah, I got really creative in the barbecue pit over this past year. That's for sure. Awesome. Drumming a cowbell and cooking it is, Grant, as always. Fun to talk a little cowbell on the podcast. I've done it a number of times now. One day, somebody's going to pick me up on that offer there. So thank you for sharing your love of drums as well as uh, cooking, Grant. And I'm looking forward to discussing all the wonderful work happening in the R0 camp after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. With rising burnout, malpractice, digital and personal risks, clinicians face greater than a million dollar liability. And in today's climate, busy frontline healthcare workers don't have the capacity to attend to these risky blind spots. But the AdaptTrack team is bringing hope and solutions to the healthcare industry. AdaptTrack's mission is to help clinicians and their practice teams work and live better. AdaptTrack's 30-second nudges unlock Category 1 continuing medical education credits along with insurance savings while meeting the busy clinician where they are. On Clubhouse, during weekend nature walks, through all of HELPS, from this podcast, and over 3,000 additional work-life moments. To learn more about AdaptTrack and how you can engage in active learning that drives a 5x plus ROI, a 30x time savings, and an experience clinicians will love, head over to AdaptTrack.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Grant Morgan, CEO of R0. We have a lot to discuss today, Grant. Wow. Did you build a fast growing company in a very short amount of time? What I love though, is you saw the opportunity and this is what I love about entrepreneurs, the ones that are successful, knock it out of the park. You don't just go build a product and then go find a home for it. You go and solve for a problem and build the product for that problem. And that's exactly what you did. And a lot of your history too, really positioned you nicely to be able to deliver on what you guys are doing at R0. And we'll dive into kind of everything happening, current state, with the team. You guys, again, fast growing company. And then of course, we're going to talk a little future state, right? The world is still changing, changing rapidly for us. And I know you're at the front lines being a part of that change and trying to help us get back to some of that normalcy, get society back into common places and areas where we can get connected again to each other. But before we go there, Grant, go ahead, share us a little bit. I know, like I said, you guys started this kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic, but even before then, why are you and how are you so positioned to launch this company when the rapid growth that you're on today? Yeah. So I'm going to go way back. I'm going to start with my selection of my major in college. And so I went to a school called Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California. And when you apply, you have to declare a major. And a 17-year-old Grant had no idea what he wanted to be when he grew up and kind of figuring it out. But I figured I like Legos and I'm good at math. So I'll be a mechanical engineer. And so I ended up applying for like business and math and all kinds of other stuff to other schools, but fell in love with Cal Poly, went to school there and got my degree in mechanical engineering. And it was everything I thought it would be more. But coming out of college, I ended up working for a company called Abbott, which most of your listeners are probably very familiar with. But I did their professional development program. So for two years, every six months, I'd move to a different location, different business unit and different function. So I got exposed to a ton and it was eye-opening. It was amazing. And I loved the altruistic aspect of the work and knowing that whatever I was doing at the end of the day, I could feel good that it was going to ostensibly save somebody's life or improve the quality of their life. I really fell in love with that part of the job and the company. But 
what I wanted was a bigger slice of the pie, a bigger scope of responsibility. And so I decided to move to a smaller medical device startup called NDC at the time. They're now called Confluent. And we were basically a contract manufacturer for nitinol-based devices. And so we would basically take a napkin sketch from like a Stryker, J&J, Medtronic, Abbott even. And my team would figure out how to make it. And we would design it, test it, iterate, take them through FDA submissions and any sort of... You get that 510K clearance. So you bring me back to my medical device days. This is like way back in the day. Oh, yeah. You got to get that 510K clearance, take it to the market, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, you get 510K or FDA approval, depending on the nature of the device. But yeah, so at NDC, I got to stand up and lead our neurovascular value stream. So that was a blast. I loved having sort of the responsibility and ownership of the full product development life cycle. And I love, again, the altruism of it. And shortly after that, I got a call from one of my buddies from college who was starting a business called iCrack. And he said, hey, you want to come start this company with me? And I was like, what would I do? And he said, I have no idea. And I said, I'm in, let's do it. And so I jumped ship and departed the physical world. I wanted to try something outside of a regulated industry. And so what iCrack was, we at the very beginning, we called ourselves sort of the Uber for iPhone repair. So we had a network of a couple thousand technicians all over the United States and Canada and Europe. And if you broke your phone, tablet, whatever, you'd press a button, we'd send somebody out to you to fix it, no matter where you're at. You know, you could be at a restaurant, work, school, home, and we'd fix it for you. And I got to lead the product and engineering teams there. Very different than my previous product and engineering experience. This was entirely software. And I fell in love with software and I fell in love with the characteristics that are unique to software, namely that it's fungible, that it's fast, and that you can kind of do whatever you want with it. And I was there for probably six or seven years, growing the team, growing the company. We eventually got into IoT smart home installation and setup. And we'll get back to why that's relevant. But we got a contract to launch with the Amazon Ring product to install their smart doorbells, smart locks, and other types of products like that. So we grew the company for six or seven years ended up getting acquired by Allstate back in 2019. And so after the acquisition, I spent a couple months getting the ship to port, left, started another company called Gist. And we were basically productizing word of mouth and changing the way that people shopped online and discovered products. I got to ask the question, what is it like to sell a startup to a behemoth like an Allstate? What was that like? (laughs) And I know you might need to be diplomatic. I get it. But what was that like going from Because trust me, I'm a startup guy. I've been in that very fast pace, like let's break things, let's move quick, iterate, and then to go to Allstate. What was that like? Yeah, so Allstate was really good to us in a lot of ways. It was flattering, it was humbling, it was sort of a dream come true. That's what you work for is an exit, largely. So it felt really good. It felt like we had accomplished something, it was validated, whatnot. But to be honest, the reason I left is because of what happened after the acquisition where things changed. And that same sort of big company mentality and MO started to creep into our everyday life. And you go from being the one that makes all the decisions and kind of calling the shots and not really having to answer to anybody but your customers to now, like, I'm not really even sure who my boss is or who to get approvals from. And it was just a different speed, a different way of operating that doesn't quite fit with my DNA. So you don't like to have a meeting to have a meeting? (laughs) (laughs) A meeting to plan when meetings are happening. And yeah, no. A meeting that could be an email. Yeah, those are my favorite. Or a meeting that now could be a Slack message, right? Yeah, but Allstate was great. They took care of us and the team. Almost my whole team is still there. And Allstate does my home insurance. So nothing against Allstate whatsoever. Hey, there you go, right? You're still living on the legacy, right? And now you're a customer. Look at that. Oh, yeah. 
but I don't get the discount anymore. So <laughs> if anyone from Allstate's listening, you'll know where to find me at the end of the show and I'll take a discount. But anyway, left Allstate, started another company, fell in love with sort of the software, the entrepreneurial aspect. And I'm talking a lot. So let me fast forward to about March of last year. And March of last year was when the pandemic really took hold here in the United States. And we were really starting to realize the magnitude and the impact that this was going to have. And I got a call from one of my co-founders, Ben Boyer, who was actually on my board at iCracked. And he's been a venture capitalist for 20 plus years, founded Tanaya Capital. He's been very, very successful. Someone I've always looked up to and respected really, really highly, wanted to work together in the future, but always figured it'd be in the capacity of him investing in something that I was doing. But he called up and said, hey, do you want to start a company? And I just said, yes, I don't even need to know what it is, but yes, let's do it. But we started digging in and thinking about, we had this thesis that, look, this is one of those moments in history, moments in time when the world is changing. And we started looking at historical events and really studying how the world changed after them. And one that we honed in on was 9-11. And out of 9-11 came basically the entire United States homeland security apparatus. So we hired 14,000 TSA agents. We put air marshals on flights. You still can't carry a water bottle or wear your shoes through security. And there were multiple companies that were founded that are massive, massive, multi-billion dollar companies to support this apparatus. And so point being, there were massive societal and infrastructural changes that came out of this. And at the time, coronavirus was even worse across every dimension in terms of the loss of human lives and the economic destruction that was happening. And we wanted to jump in and do our part to help. And really what it came down to was I looked myself in the mirror and I thought, if I look back on this in a couple of years and I didn't jump in and help, I wouldn't feel great about how I used my time over the last couple of years. And so we originally thought about doing basically eye crack for disinfection. So the idea was that we wanted to equip a bunch of 1099 contractors with specialized equipment to go out and perform sort of a differentiated disinfection service above and beyond what a standard custodial operation would do. And we ended up bringing on a third co-founder, Eli, Eli Harris, who's amazing. He's a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur. He had started a business in China that he had just exited. So he was a free agent. And I actually met him at iCrack too. He was at DJI, the drone company. And we conceived of this drone repair program. It never materialized, but he's one of those other people that you keep in your back pocket and try to figure out how to work together in, in the future. And this is it. So I'll stop there. I can go through kind of the story of the company and how we came to be, but I'll take a breath real quick. No, I, and I appreciate that, Grant, because I think it's important to set the stage, right? I mean, it's amazing to hear that journey from leaders like you that have been there and done that, have seen those exits and are always looking, hey, what's next? What are those problems that need to be solved? And going back, you made an unbelievable comment and I couldn't agree more. My father-in-law says it all the time. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? And if you think about what you said, what happened in the early 2000s with 9-11, Actually, if you look at big historical moments in time, when you have major economic collapse, look at the Great Recession of the late 2000s, tons of multi-billion dollar companies have spun out of that time, right? Because the pressure yeah. created that mother invention, if you will, right? And so I agree with yeah. you. We are at a moment in time right now, and I say this a lot on the podcast, of course, the pandemic has been an utter tragedy. It has been horrific on so many levels from mental health, obviously the physical side of things for people's well-being. It is and economic. I mean, it's just been devastating. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, there's going to be so many phoenixes that rise from these ashes. And we're talking to an entrepreneur right now that's doing exactly that. What were you going to say, Grant? Yeah, we're doing it. 
But I think going back in time even more, you look at like the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, that's where we got hand hygiene. Modern hand hygiene came out of the Spanish flu and it was Florence Nightingale and the American Red Cross. And they had an observation where in certain hospitals, there was an extremely high mortality rate for mothers giving birth. And it was astronomically higher than the hospitals next door. And the observation she had was that some of the doctors were going straight from doing autopsies to the delivery room and they were passing infections. And so what ended up happening was at the same time, it was World War I and the United States government wanted to make sure that the troops were safe. There's a national security issue. So they came to the American Red Cross and they say, what do we do to keep our troops safe during this pandemic while they're deployed? And she said, wash your damn hands. And (laughs) so you had all these, I think it was something like 30 or 40% of adult males in the United States were actually in the military. So they got trained and conditioned to wash their hands regularly. So when they came back, that plus the campaigns that were being run, we adopted hand hygiene. So there are going to be similar changes. We're seeing them already setting in even now, just a little bit over a year since the beginning of the pandemic. But what we really wanted to focus on was how do we solve two problems? One is safety, the other is trust. And the safety piece is a little bit more obvious. How do we physically create safer spaces for people to be in? And the trust piece is a little bit more nebulous, but it's born out of this idea that there will be lingering psychological scar tissue in the mind and the eyes of the public. And we're absolutely seeing that already. So our thinking was, well, how do we create spaces where people are not only physically can be safe, but also feel safe? And so that's a big part of what we're doing as well. But when we first started the business, we had kind of stumbled into who is now our chief scientist. His name is Dr. Richard Wade. He was the head of Cal OSHA for over a decade. He's taught at Harvard and Oxford. He is a risk management, occupational health and safety, toxicology expert. And he led us on this sort of journey where we looked at what types of organizations do infection prevention particularly well. And he pointed us at hospitals which your listeners are very, very familiar with. But if you think about what hospitals do, it kind of boils down to three things. One, they deal with the hands. So scrub in, scrub out before and after surgery, wear gloves when you touch a patient, practice good hand hygiene. The second one is they do manual disinfection. And so they have the EVS teams that come in with special chemicals to wipe everything down when they turn over a patient room. And inevitably it's humans, we're all imperfect. And so inevitably some of those surfaces and pathogens that are in that room are missed. So what the sort of best in breed hospitals use, and this was a big learning for us, is UVC light. And so it turns out this technology has been around for over 100 years. In fact, 1903, the Nobel Prize for Medicine was awarded to Niels Vincent for the use of UVC to treat lupus. And it's been used in wastewater treatment since the 1910s. It's been used in air and surface disinfection applications since the 1930s and 40s. And there's a mountain of scientific evidence proving its efficacy, its germicidal efficacy. And so we were thinking to ourselves, well, why doesn't this exist everywhere? Why is it just hospitals? And so when we dug in, we started realizing how expensive it was in hospitals. And so these devices are sold to hospitals for anywhere from like 60 to $125,000. And being a mechanical engineer, I'm looking at it and thinking, that's a light bulb on wheels with the timer. You know, in healthcare, actually, like an aspirin sold for like $300, like one aspirin, like it's history. (laughs) And I have no problem saying it because we have to fix these issues in healthcare. Everything is like a thousand X the cost of like what it would be outside of healthcare, which is just ridiculous in and of itself. But yeah, carry on because I couldn't agree more with you. I've been in this space. I've seen it. I know exactly what you're talking about. So we thought the idea was dead in the water for the company. I mentioned earlier, we were going to go build the Uber for disinfection, the iCrack for disinfection. And we were like, we'll never be able to afford 
as many devices as we need. And we're going to give these to contractors and they're probably going to break all the time. Like this is over. That weekend, I spent some time digging in to try to figure out why are these so expensive? Can we make one? And so I found some open source plans from a bio lab at MIT and it had an open source bomb with links to buy all the components. It open sourced the software to control it. And it was like 175 bucks to make it. And so looking at this thing and thinking, okay, this isn't exactly what we're going to build, but now I know what components go into this and we can absolutely build these. And so I called Ben back up and I was like, Ben, you're going to think I'm crazy, but we're building lights. And he's like, yeah, you're nuts, but I'm in. And so the rest is history. But the idea was we wanted to adapt this hospital grade technology and build something with the same or higher efficacy as the devices sold into hospitals, but bring it to the masses. And along the way, we kind of stepped back and we assessed the market and thought about who our competitors would be. And what we kind of realized was our competitors aren't necessarily the UV companies. It's much bigger than that. It's more infection prevention in general. So think about the Cloroxes of the world, the Ecolabs of the world, Diversity, SE Johnson, all the way down the list. If you think about them, they're phenomenal companies, highly profitable. They've been around for 150 years, but they're fundamentally commodity chemical manufacturers and they don't have technology and innovation in their DNA. They've been selling the same exact products for a long time. And so what we kind of asked ourselves was, what should this industry look like in 2020 and beyond and now 2021 and beyond? And we kind of injected what we know. And what we know is IoT connected hardware, data and data science and software to derive actionable insights and feed it back to people. And so what we decided to do was with our first product, we were like, well, let's make this thing smart. Let's put LTE and Bluetooth in it and have it generate data about what's actually happening in these spaces. So when was it used? Where was it used? How long was it run for? And make that data available via a modern software UI that you can access from anywhere in the world. And what's been interesting is we originally designed that feature for compliance, like this actually happened according to protocol. But what we're finding, and this speaks to the trust piece of the problem we're trying to solve, but what we're finding is our customers are sharing this data externally with their patrons, their employees, their customers to reestablish trust and get people back into their buildings. And we've actually seen customers in every vertical actually see a boost in their economic recovery and acceleration of their economic recovery when they articulate that they're doing something different in implementing hospital grade UVC in their space to keep people safe. So <laughs> I'll stop there again. Sorry, you got to stop me. I can talk forever about this stuff. Dude, I'm right there with you, man. Trust me. I'm just sitting back. I'm just enjoying the, I'm just enjoying the ride with you. Grant, this is phenomenal. I love it when entrepreneurs see an opportunity and go after it, right? Because a lot of people would say, oh, you kind of teed it up, right? You have these massive brands, right? The Cloroxes of the world, right? And be like, oh, there's no way I can go do that, right? There's no way we can go launch it. And you guys went and did it and here you are. And so now let's talk a little bit about what you have accomplished and where you're at today. You guys have had explosive growth. What's going on in the camp today, Grant? And then again, we're going to talk a little future state. Like you said, we're starting to open up society again. We're starting to, hopefully the pandemic will start cooling soon, get those vaccines in arms. We'll talk future state where you see things heading. But what's happening right now? How's it been going? Oh man, I haven't slept very much in the last year, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So I'm going to Tarantino this. I'll start with where we're at now, kind of back up and tell you how we got there. But today we're about 50 employees. We have sold almost $14 million worth of product in just over six months of actually selling. And we've raised $1.7 million seed right after we incorporated. We raised a $15 million Series A in July, actually closed in August of last year, actually before we had a website, before we had ever shipped a product. 
And then we were off to the races, but we designed, developed, and manufactured a truly hospital-grade UVC whole room disinfection device in five months and brought it to market. And what we wanted to do was we thought about the people we're going to be selling to, the organizations that we're selling to are economically distressed. And we wanted to be sensitive to that. And so we thought, how do we make these things more affordable? Not only will we offer the purchase option at a fraction of what is typically sold into hospitals for, but we wanted to offer a hardware as a service model. So for about $17 a day or a monthly sort of lease, these customers can have access to this hospital grade technology. And so really that's the piece about democratizing access. And so we're selling into schools, hotels, restaurants, professional sports teams, corporate office spaces, really anywhere where you haven't been able to go for the last year or so. And so I think we've been very, very successful in that democratization piece of it. But it's our belief that the best tools and technologies that exist today should be available to anybody in organizations of all shapes and sizes. And I had a question too, and that's fantastic, Graham, amazing growth and kudos to you and the entire team. I'm curious though, this just popped in my head. So I had to wait nine months to get some chairs. We ordered them back in September or October. I thought, ah, they'll be here in like a couple months. It took forever to get these chairs, right? How has the supply chain been for you guys? Brutal, but we knew that that was coming. So first of all, the germicidal UVC industry is having the best year, two years in their history by far and away. And the nature of hardware manufacturing, especially more well-established, mature hardware manufacturing companies, is they run really lean. And so they're right at capacity. That's the game that they're always playing. And so we knew that was going to be problematic. And so what we ended up doing, and one of the reasons we raised money was we had to go to the largest germicidal bulb manufacturer in the world, who we had built a relationship with over the course of product development cycle, and just sold the dream. Like, we swear we're going to be huge. This is going to be worth your while or whatever but they have huge customers that they need to serve. And so the way that we got their attention was we showed up and we're like, okay, we're not going to buy a thousand dollars worth of light bulbs. Here's a million dollars. Like, can that get us to the front of the line? And it caught a lot of people's attention and we risk bought a whole bunch of inventory for the key components that we need. And so that's one example, but there was a number that we did that with. And we did the same thing, you know, right now with the microprocessors the car dealership the other day, they said, we're not getting any more of these cars for another six months. So if you want this one, you better get it. And it's a worldwide shortage. And so we've been lucky enough to have the capital to be able to do that kind of thing. And really what it came down to is like, there are lives at stake here and we cannot be selling something to a customer and telling them, we'll get it to you in 12 weeks. What really kept me up at night in September, October, right when we launched was we were ramping up production. And we were two to four week lead times at the time. And I kept thinking, what if one of these customers has an outbreak in the time that it takes to ship them their device? And we could have done something about it. And so now today, we're actually probably three or four weeks after launching, we were shipping devices the same day they were ordered. So we could get them anywhere in the United States within a week or so. And so we've operated with that level of urgency, like we're in a pandemic, because that's what's needed right now. So next time I go back to the furniture store, I'm going to order 63 chairs. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. I just got to order a lot of chairs. Yeah. Or go get a bunch of buddies that have chairs or that need chairs or whatever. But yeah, it gets a lot of people's attention. That's absolutely brilliant, Grant. Well played. I had this question. I'm like, I hope he has a good answer for this because I'm like, how the heck are you pulling this off during these times? So well thought out, a good strategy. I love it. Let's turn a little bit now. Let's talk a little future state, right? Things are changing rapidly. And hopefully we're going to get back into society and get back to some normal times. What I would give 
to get back into a baseball stadium and just watch some pro baseball, the nice ice cold beer in the hand, right? Just even that right now would be awesome, right? So what's going to be happening? What are you guys seeing on the horizon? Where are things going to be? I mean, heck, even in the next six to 12 months, right? And let's not even talk next three to five years. Where are you and the team seeing things heading? What do we need to be contemplating? What do we need to be keeping top of mind? Especially as you know, I told you earlier, a lot of amazing leaders that are pushing the healthcare industry forward, tuned in on this podcast, rallied around it and rallied around our guests, just like yourself. What do we need to be thinking about? What do we need to be keeping on the horizon? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the observations we had when we started this business, the fully admit that the catalyst for starting this business was the coronavirus. And when we started it, we're like, yeah, we'll figure out what to do after coronavirus. The deeper we got and the more layers of the onion we peeled back, the more we realized this is way bigger than coronavirus. We as a society are terrible at preventing the spread of infectious disease in public places. And the evidence of that is that 40 million Americans get the flu every year. And somehow we just accepted that that's normal. Like that's crazy. MRSA staff kills more people every year than Parkinson's, AIDS, and murder combined. It doesn't have to be that way. And so we're taking this opportunity to say, look, we can do this better than we ever have before. We can keep people healthier. We can keep them more productive, put more life in their years, so to speak. And so if you think about the implications of sick days on an organization or on humans, not the human life component of it is arguably the most important and obviously the most important, but if you think about running a business, the average cost that a self-insured employer pays per employee per year is about $22,000. That's crazy. And if you think about the cost of a sick day, it's not just the direct and indirect healthcare-related costs, but it's the lost productivity and the opportunity cost of someone not being in the seat. For organizations like schools in California, for example, I know that because in my backyard, but in California, it costs the school on average about $1,300 a day to have a substitute teacher. And when a substitute teacher comes in, there's a correlation between substitute teacher days and reduction in standardized test scores for that school. And that impacts their state funding that they get as well. So it's a big issue. And if you think about the cost of any type of a company, people have been optimizing their energy spend to operate their building, for example. So people outlay tens of millions of dollars to put LED lights, energy efficiency gains to optimize maybe five, 7% of their overall company spend. Well, the biggest spend is headcount and people. So what we want to do long-term is reduce the spread of all infectious disease, like the flu, the common cold, E. coli, MRSA, whatever's endemic to our customer spaces. And we think we can do that a lot better. And there's evidence that we can. And if you look at like, I love the CDC's branding of this, but the flu view, if you go look at it, I think last week we had 11 confirmed cases of the flu in the entire United States. South Africa this year had one confirmed case of the flu when they typically report millions. So point being, what we're doing is working to prevent the spread of less infectious diseases. So the way we look at it is we're honing our battle axe on the toughest, most infectious, not most infectious ever, but one of the most infectious diseases that we've ever seen. And so we're going to apply the same concepts, the same tools and technologies to prevent the spread of all these other more common pathogens in public spaces and keep people healthier. So exciting. I appreciate the view into the future and where you guys are heading as a team. I couldn't agree more. I mean, right, we've even heard Dr. Fauci, his dream actually coming out of the pandemic is that he hopes that people stop shaking hands. To get to your point, right? He literally said that. He goes, we need to stop this shaking hands business, I think he said in a recent podcast interview, right? <laughs> uh, to your point. So I mean, I, it makes me want to give him a hug <laughs> right? I, instead. Like, we're not shaking hands. 
Everybody wants to give Dr. Fauci how you guys are amazing. He's a hero. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. And thank you for sharing a little bit of what's on the horizon, Grant. Now let's flip the script on you a bit. Obviously, as I mentioned, we have incredible leaders rally around this podcast that are pushing this healthcare industry forward, not taking no for an answer and want to make sure that we get an opportunity for them to be helping all of you. So what's one problem need or question that you and the R0 team have that we can be helping you with? I'm going to cheat and give you more than one, but first and foremost, we would appreciate any sort of introductions to hospital systems, academic institutions that are willing to do studies with us. Because one of the things we're trying to do is actually prove that our platform, our devices, when installed together and in concert with each other, can reduce the spread of infectious disease. And so we want reputable academic institutions to help us conduct the science and learn about what we need to do, improve our platform, and actually achieve that goal. So any intros to hospitals, to academic institutions, research institutions would be helpful. Sales intros, if you know a hospital that wants to implement something like UVC for infection prevention but can't afford it, we're about one-fifth, one-sixth the price of the typical hospital-grade systems. And then the last thing too, if this is a compelling vision for you, come join the team. So r0.com slash careers, we need everything right now. We're going to more than double by the end of the year. And we want passionate people that have scientific backgrounds that are driven to help us accomplish this mission. I love it. Excellent. Well, of course, we need to be able to get a hold of you online. You already mentioned your careers page for our community. Where can we find you? Social media handles, websites, or otherwise, where can we hunt you down? Yeah. So I'd love any feedback, any intros, whatever, to grant at r0systems.com. And it's R and then you spell out the word zero. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, just Grant Morgan and you know r0.com. And I think that's it. Excellent. Well, we'll leave all those contact points in the episode notes as well. So for our listening community, just simply scroll down in your podcast player, click on through to get a hold of Grant and the team. We'll also have a post for Grant's episode over on our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. We can also leave feedback, questions, comments, or otherwise for Grant, again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, Grant, I feel we could be here for hours on end. I love spending time with entrepreneurs that are getting after it, not taking no for an answer, finding an opportunity to solve for problems in, in our society and our communities to get us healthy as a nation again. So well done on everything that you've already accomplished so far at R0. But we have one more little spot here for the podcast. We'll get you out of here to fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because I want to fundamentally change the way the world looks at infectious disease and create a new standard for public health and disinfection in public spaces. I love it. I love it. Well, you guys are well on your way. I can feel the passion. You guys, you brought the heat today. You brought the fire, Grant. I love Love, love the conversation we had today. Keep us posted of what's happening. We are a big fan of yours over here. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to spend some time with you today, Grant, and I'm rooting all of you on this. this is important work. Keep us posted. But for now, thank you so much for being with us today. Pleasure's all mine, Mike. I had a blast. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.